0: Hey, Airbnb hosts, Natalie here. You already hear me every Wednesday on No Vacancy, the podcast, but I've decided to add a bonus episode at the last Friday of every month called Airbnb Advice Column. Every month, I'll ask you to submit your questions, pick three to five that I think most of you could benefit from, and those will go in here. So sit back, enjoy this monthly bonus episode, and thank you for writing in your questions to Airbnb Advice Column, XOXO, Natalie. XOXO, Natalie. Oh, Before we jump into today's episode, I have to tell you about Level Up Your Listing Women's Summit in Scottsdale, Arizona, February 27th, 28th, and March 1st. This is the biggest women's event ever in the hospitality and real estate industry, and we've secured the ultimate speaker lineup of some of the most inspiring women in the industry, from thanks to visiting Sarah and Annette, to the short-term shops Avery Carl, to Julie George, also known as the million-dollar host, and so many more. Not to mention our special guest, April Brown, Of Netflix's Motel Makeover and co founder of the famous June Motel. Our sessions range from how to save tens of thousands every year on taxes, how to build a hosting business that you could one day sell for millions, how to work with insurance companies to get midterm rentals secured for 100% occupancy, and that's just the beginning. Gather with 350 women just like you who are passionate about hospitality, design, and guest experience. This event is also for women who support hosts. So if you're a designer, stager, photographer, realtor, social media manager, muralist, or anything else you need to be here. Head to levelupyourlistingsummit.com and use code NATALIE10 for 10% off your ticket. Tickets are going quicker than ever and this event is sure to sell out, so secure your seat today. If you are ready to be the best host you can be with the best hosting business you can have, you have earned a spot here. We cannot wait to meet you. you. first question this week is from Anna. She wrote, we have a four bedroom house that we're looking to put on Airbnb. We're debating making the fourth bedroom into a sitting room with a day bed as an option for additional sleeping area or a full bedroom with a queen size bed. The thought we had is, are people psychologically less apt to book a four-bedroom house if they only need three beds? If there's a family of four looking to book a house and they only need three bedrooms, do you think they look at that fourth bedroom as a waste? That may be a difficult question to answer, but from your experience, I'd love to know your take on this. Thank you so much for this question, Anna. Let me tell you a little bit about my situation. We host two-bed, two-bath condos, and I, all the time, have just couples book. All the time, honestly, like one in five, if not one in four of my reservations are just two people. So I don't think that you're not going to get smaller groups because of the fourth bedroom, but having that fourth bedroom just does give you extra options. Here's what I'll say though, and you're going to have to put a little bit work into this, but I think it will be worth it. I would go on AirDNA and play around a little bit with the option between four bed and three bedroom homes in your area, because here's what I'm thinking. Take Joshua Tree, for example. It's kind of a known thing that bigger homes don't do that well on Joshua Tree. That area is really more so for small couples, um, little intimate getaways, whereas somewhere like the Smoky Mountains, five-bedroom homes absolutely crush it there because people are coming in huge groups. And so I don't know what market you're in. You didn't mention that in the question, but if you're somewhere where smaller places do tend to do better then maybe that fourth bedroom could be like a game room or a gym or an office or something. Maybe if you are by a university and you think people might be booking your place for midterm or something and they want a place to work, you could end up creating that into an office space. Uh, Maybe if you're somewhere near Orlando, that could be like a full-on Disney decked out game room. And so without knowing what market you're in, it's hard for me to say, but I would jump on AirDNA A lot of people think that just because a place has more bedrooms, that means you can charge more for it, but that's not necessarily the case depending on your market. If you've listened way back to episode 6 of the podcast, I had my sister on. She's a data scientist, and she talks about how near USC, studio apartments do really, really well, but bigger homes with multiple bedrooms and pools... Don't even do that much better because that market is just catered more towards the individual traveling college student, exchange student, or professor coming over to do some research at the university. So even though conventional wisdom would tell you that, yeah, absolutely take the extra bedroom, put as many beds in there as you can, it's kind of a bummer to go through all that effort to do that and spend the money to furnish an additional bedroom when in a market like this, that wouldn't even make a difference. So I would jump on AirDNA and just do some comparative research between three bed and four bath homes in your area and see if that extra bedroom makes a difference or not. If not, turn it into a really sick amenity like a theater instead. P.S. I want to insert a little note here. If you struggle with how to use AirDNA to its full capacity, we're so lucky that AirDNA is actually one of the premier sponsors of Level Up Your Listing Summit, and we're going to have someone from them do a full-on 45-minute session on how to use the rentalizer tool. I personally cannot wait for this session. I definitely know my way around AirDNA, but I feel like I'm not tapping into half of the potential that that tool has to offer. So if you are planning to come to the summit, be prepared to deep dive into this and understand every single feature that there is to your disposal all right next question comes from monica she says question what to do about very messy guests not just one but the last few had food on walls under bed stained sheets and rugs should i change house rules to no eating in bedrooms charge extra fees and tell them i will in the house rules all right monica so no you can't tell your guests to not eat in the bedrooms. You you can't babysit your guests on vacation. So I, I know that there is a cost involved and it seems really frustrating right now. But as soon as I started reading your question, this is what stood out to me. You said, what to do about very messy guests, not just one, but the last few. On previous podcast episodes, I've mentioned this, but I am a firm believer that bad guests always happen in threes. I'm guessing you've had three, just by the way you phrase that it's the last few. And I think that you're in for a good streak. You've made it through the weeds on this, but I swear I don't know what it is. It's like every time I get a bad guest, there's two more that follow it. Every time. So hang in there. Not every single guest is like this. I would much prefer to just give my guests the freedom to enjoy their vacation and not feel like they're being babysat by me. And the other thing I want to point out is that What you're describing is not because they ate in the bedroom. I eat in my own bed, okay? I'll bring, like, chocolate-covered raisins or something in there and, like, be watching a show on Netflix on my laptop, and I'm not getting chocolate smeared all over the walls. Like, I can have them in the container and eat a couple at a time. Like, I can have almonds in bed and be fine. And so, what you're describing is not because people are eating in the bedrooms, it's because you've had a few guests who are just assholes, okay? The stuff you're describing, food on the walls and under the beds, stained sheets and rugs, don't, don't, like, blanket statement that anytime food enters the bedroom, this is what's going to happen, because that's not the case. Most people can reasonably, like, bring a glass of wine into bed and have the TV on and be fine. So, what this is an issue of is just, Those were bad guests, and I think it's up to you to decide if you want to charge them extra or not. Uh, For the food on the walls, you totally could charge them extra. That takes extra time for your cleaner to have to take off, and if she can't clean it all, you might have to repaint it. That's labor right there. So you could totally charge for that. The stained sheets, if it's really bad and really egregious and the stains don't come out, I say go ahead and charge them. You know, to an extent, we always say that those small things you don't want to charge for, it's the cost of doing business. But if you can tell that a guest had a repeat behavior of this and that there's food everywhere, charge them. Go freaking charge them. Tell your cleaner to make sure that she's documenting this and taking photos, but go ahead and charge them. Truly, in my opinion, though, I think that you're you're in the clear now. I think you probably had a bad run of just a few guests. For some reason, it always happens like this. So don't let this beat you down. Moving forward, though, I honestly wouldn't change my house rules if I were you. I just don't think that there's any way that you could phrase that that makes it seem still welcoming and like you're being a good host. Any way you phrase it is going to sound like you're babying your guests. Our third question comes from Melanie and girl... I relate to this question so hard. Thank you so much for submitting this. Melanie wrote, how to deal with micromanaging owners who instantly check every message that comes through, text you about every message slash inquiry, watch their cameras like crazy and text you about every little thing a guest does, wants you to send the guests a million messages of what to do slash not to do, etc. Like why did they even hire a co-host? Melanie, good question. Why did they hire a co-host? Okay, for real though, I would love to know, you didn't include it here, but I would be so curious to know how long you've been co-hosting for and specifically how long you've been co-hosting for this owner because I have noticed that I get into this situation most typically in the first three to six months with any new owner and I I get it. They're very attached to this investment. They spend a lot of money. You're probably taking a good twenty or twenty five percent. That's a big chunk for these owners to trust you with. And so have have a little bit of compassion for where they're coming from. But at the same time, you're right. Why did they hire a co-host if they are planning to micromanage everything and insert themselves? One thing I did that really helped me was I actually straight up had a conversation with one of the owners I co-host for because he was doing this too, and finally one day I was like, "Hey, are you not happy with my performance? What's going on? Why, why did you hire a co-host? I straight up asked him, I called him, I was very polite, but I just had to have the conversation because I could not understand why he wanted me. And he actually kind of explained that he really likes seeing the messages from the guests and wants to offer them discounts and, and communicate with them. And he likes that idea of being a host, but When the situation gets tough and the guests have snuck in extra people or extra pets that aren't allowed... If they are complaining about cleanliness and an awkward, difficult response is needed in those moments, he does not want to have to come up with, with his answer on the spot. And so we kind of came to that conclusion like, okay, so you do still value what I'm bringing to the table. You like being able to kind of message with guests and insert yourself here. But when things get difficult, that's my job to step in. And I swear just having that conversation changed so much. I feel like from that day forward, he still reads all the messages now, but he doesn't really reply or insert himself anymore. He still gets notifications, but I think just having that conversation made him realize like, yeah, I can't really just throw her with all the shitty guests and not give her any of the normal communication either. And if I am trusting her to handle those really difficult situations, then I can trust her to handle the easy situations too. So that conversation helped a lot. I don't know how long you've been co-hosting for this owner. I would say if it's longer than a year, I would honestly consider dropping them because it's very, very frustrating and mentally taxing to deal with this. Again, I don't know like how much money you're making off of this situation, how long you've been with them, if you've tried talking to them before or not. But if this is a repeat issue that's not getting better, I I would consider dropping them. I really would. Ugh, I know that might not be the best answer, but if your goal is to scale up to co-hosting more properties, this one is costing you so much more time than the energy you could invest into finding other properties. And let me tell you something that I found. The owners that give me the most headache and hassle are the ones that I make the least from. Plain and simple. So evaluate if you think that you could make more without them. If you could Don't even give it a second thought and bounce. But if you haven't even tried having the conversation with them or if they are brand new, then I think it's still worth holding out for a little bit longer Another thing I'd recommend too is having a co-hosting contract in place. Maybe you do already, but if you don't, implement one ASAP because this just helped me so much with setting expectations and getting the owners to take me more seriously as a co-host. I'm no longer just the random little co-host that was added onto their listing. I'm a business owner. I have a contract. We have terms. We have expectations we set for each other. And that has really changed their involvement as well because I think that they see my value and understand how much they're paying me and that this is my job. Um, If you need help with that, I do have a co-hosting contract available on my website. If you just go to hostwithnatalie.com slash shop, you'll find my co-hosting contract right there. You can customize any terms you need to, but it's also pretty much ready to go as is. Our fourth question comes from Melody, who said, Hi, we're planning to list our first Airbnb late this spring, but wondering on how to stage our second bedroom. Much like your example, our whole upstairs is two bedrooms, but one has a door and one does not. It's just open at the top of the stairs, but the other side of the bedroom is also open with a railing, open to the living room below, basically like two lofted bedrooms at the top of a quasi-A frame. Since they are both not fully private anyway, we think we want to stage them both as bedrooms, so that a small fam or two couples could stay, or would it be better to stage the more open room as a yoga studio or something else? Our cabin is in the woods and near Lake Trails, etc. in Wisconsin. We're 45 minutes from Milwaukee and two hours from Chicago, so we would love a yoga studio room, but wonder if that is a total waste, or do we go for it and attract those people just like us? Haha. <laughs> Hope that made sense. It's a bit of an odd layout. Any insight is appreciated." All right, Melody. Similar to the answer that I gave Anna for question one, definitely do some research on this area. Dive into air DNA and really play with: is two bedroom going to make more sense, or is a yoga studio going to make more sense? So do a little bit of research. Um, here's what I'll say: the two because you only—it's sounding to me like you only sleep four people total. I'm thinking. Maybe there's some bedrooms downstairs, but the vibe I'm getting is that this whole thing could only be a max of two bedrooms. So if that is the case, my thought, what I'm leaning towards is to make this two bedrooms because a two-person cabin is just so small. Again, maybe your market will crush it for that. You heard what I told Anna from question one, but my inkling is that like that four people, even just bringing kids really does give you a lot more flexibility. If in the end you do decide to go with the yoga studio, what I would advise is theming out the entire rental towards the yogi lifestyle. I'm not saying you have to put like namaste all over or like a sitting Buddha or anything like that, but I would just try to carry that yoga studio vibe and like kind of the Scandinavian design throughout the whole listing because the last thing I would want is for that yoga studio to seem half-assed or random or out of place and people be looking at the photos and like what is this doing here in the middle of the woods whereas if you make the entire thing like a yoga retreat and a mountain escape and a remote place to get away and do yoga in the one room then I think you've leaned into something really really cool and you could even like hire a muralist to paint some cool you know, yoga style accent or whatever on the, on the A-frame ceiling. Like there's so much you could do with that. You could always have like water bottles stocked and complimentary, uh, yoga mats. You could get branded little labels on the water bottles there and put some like complimentary nutrition bars. Like instead of a welcome basket downstairs, you could do like a yoga studio basket upstairs where that loft is. So I think there's a lot you could do with it, but I would just make sure it looks very intentional if you go that route and not like You just had this random extra space you didn't know what to do with. So you threw some yoga mats down. And our last question comes from a host in Edmonton, Alberta. I'm so sorry. I don't know your name because your username is your business name. So whatever your name is, here you go. I hope you hear this. They wrote, hey, so we got a month long booking. They booked without issue and asked no questions coming from overseas and a bit of a language barrier. Anyway, they showed up and we were having issues with Wi-Fi. It's been a nightmare on our end with techs going out and not getting the proper access to the building room for setup. Blah, blah, blah. It's definitely on us. We feel bad as this is likely a huge source of them getting around and situated and everything. We know in their shoes we would be. They also let us know every day of these noises made by the building creaking, banging in the pipes. It's an old building and we've looked into it and there's nothing that can be done. Maybe one other person ever has mentioned it and we are kind of like, tough luck. There's nothing we can do. We did, however, agree to refund the days they stayed without Wi-Fi because ofs that is part of what we say we include and failed to do so. But now they want to leave from the noise and want a refund. Our policy is strict. They wouldn't be entitled to one and we are out a month's rent and not likely to recover if we agreed. What's the best approach? We added to our listing. P.S. This is a private apartment in a shared building. So the building noises and other tenants are things outside of our control. Anyway, how would you deal? Are we out of line? Are we not doing enough? Are we doing too much? Thanks. Love this addition to your podcast. Well, I'm so glad you love this addition and I hope that you love this answer. So... Alright, here's what I'll say. You ask if you're doing t- doing not enough or doing too much. I personally think that refunding all the days that there was no Wi-Fi, I personally think that was too much. Um, my thought is, how I don't know how much you charge for each of those nights. Let's say $100 per night is your going rate. Wi-Fi alone is not the reason they booked. That is one of many amenities. You are not just offering Wi-Fi. You are not a Wi-Fi service provider, you offered running hot water, a roof, four walls, a furnished place, comfortable mattresses, a coffee station, appliances, a kitchen. Like you offer so much more that to be boiled down to lose your entire entire nightly rate because of Wi-Fi, I think that sucks. And I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're being a good host, but I think that's just not a sustainable way to run a business. So I know you feel bad for them, but personally, I I would not have done that. I think that that's too much. And the other thing to think about, too, is that how much how much do you pay for Wi-Fi? Let's say you pay. Let's say you have really, really good, good Wi-Fi. Okay, so you pay one hundred dollars a month divide by 30 days. That's three dollars and 30 cents a day. So that's essentially what Wi-Fi is worth about three dollars and 30 cents a day. And that's if you're paying a lot for your Wi-Fi. The other thing to note is if the Wi-Fi had gone out in these people's primary residence, if they weren't just renting an Airbnb, but if they lived there and the Wi-Fi went out, would the internet service provider have provided any sort of compensation? Maybe, but you got to work and beg for that. Personally, I've never had that happen. I've never had that happen. And even if they did, it would maybe be that month's, that month's Wi-Fi. It wouldn't be more than that. And so whatever you're paying for Wi-Fi monthly... If you refunded any more than that, you were so, so generous. And I think that these people got way more out of you than they should have. So knowing that, I would not refund a cent more. I think you were already so generous. But here's what I would be willing to do. If they are just super unhappy there and they don't like the noises, I understand it seems like the Wi-Fi is fixed now. If you're still having an ongoing issue with the Wi-Fi, I would maybe consider this differently. But if the Wi-Fi is totally fixed and the only thing now is these apartment noises that they're just being really picky about. First of all, they knew they were booking an apartment. Unless you lied about that and that wasn't clear in the listing, if they wanted complete silence and privacy, they should have booked a remote cabin somewhere in the woods. So I think it's unfair that they booked an apartment and then have these unreasonable expectations. But okay, let's just go with it. They're super unhappy with the noise and they think that it's over the top. What I could be willing to do is maybe tell them, look, It doesn't seem like we're the best fit for you. Unfortunately, if you cancel the remaining days right now, it is outside of our cancellation policy, but we would be willing to work with you to refund you any of the remaining nights that we're able to rebook. So if you cancel right now and head out and find new accommodations and we're able to rebook any of the upcoming month worth of bookings that you were holding, we'll refund you that difference. I think you could even say if you leave tonight or tomorrow, we'll just give you a 50% refund right out the gate and then refund any of those additional nights that we are able to rebook. It's really up to you on this one, depending on how annoying they are. You might just want to get them out of there for your sake. Like I've been at that point with guests where I'm just like, I don't even care if I lose the money. You're driving me so crazy. I don't want you in here another day. I don't want to deal with you. Just leave. So if you're feeling that way, then, you know, maybe you're just willing to give the full refund and let them go. But if you think that this is something you can deal with and that they are totally being over the top and out of line and you've already been so generous with that Wi-Fi refund then I would I would make them work for a little bit. They need to cancel ASAP so that you can start rebooking this thing right away. And they need to really decide if these pipes creaking are that big of a deal to where they are willing to leave with the possibility that you might not rebook those dates. Like they need to face the fact that they held these dates for so long, they're holding a month's worth of bookings. And that doesn't mean you can just get a full on refund because Wi-Fi was out a couple days and you hear pipes creaking. And that is a wrap on the first ever Airbnb advice column episode of this series. You can look forward to these on the last Friday of every month. If you want your question to be featured, be sure to follow me at Natalie Palmer on Instagram. And a couple days before these episodes go out every month, I will post on my stories asking for your submissions. So just make sure that you are tuned into stories so that you see when that pops up. And lastly, I just want to remind you guys that I am an Airbnb ambassador. That means that if you use my custom link to start your Airbnb account and publish your account through there, I am able to look over your listing and give it a thumbs up and review any settings with you before you end up going live. So take advantage of that feature. It is totally free. Airbnb compensates me for my time spent on those leads, so you don't have to pay anything out of pocket. My link is airbnb.com r slash host with Natalie. Thank you guys so much. And I will see you back here next Wednesday for a regular episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. Bye.